This week on Bookpile Banter, Amberly, Sarah, and Kim discuss whether six teenagers can break into a prison twice. Welcome to Bookpile Banter. This is Amberly with Sarah and Kim, and today we are going to discuss Six of Crows, and we're going to dive straight into some facts about the book, and then we'll get into discussing the plot, because it doesn't really have an easy plot to kind of give a little synopsis on. So the book is by Lee Bardugo. It was published in 2015 by the Henry Holt and Company Publishing Company. It is a young adult fantasy for uh, individuals 12 to 18 years old or up. Obviously, we do not fall under that age range, but that's the ideal age range for it. And it's really designed for individuals grade seven and up. So with that said, how did you feel about the book, Sarah? It's a complicated question. It's not really. I I don't know. I saw that I gave it a four star rating on Goodreads, apparently, the first time I read it. Well, I fixed that. I moved it down to a three just probably still a bit high, but I didn't really enjoy it, but it was readable. Like it wasn't like I'm going to quit every second. It was just like, I don't want to read this. I don't want to read this. I don't want to read this. And then after a certain point, it's like, well, things are happening now, I guess. And then it's like, it, then it's over with. So. So it's really funny because I had the opposite effect. I actually, because this was obviously a reread for both of us. And originally when I read it, I gave it a three stars. I reread it and upped it. <laughs> I upped it to a four star. <laughs> My microphone fell. <laughs> so yeah, I actually enjoyed it more. However, I will stipulate with saying that I had recently just finished Rule of Wolves which is the next duology's second book. And having read that, going back and rereading Six of Crows, some things that seemed kind of boring and dull the first time made so much more sense. <laughs> there was a lot of buildup in this first book of the duology that plays out better in that second duology. So yeah, that was kind of my, my response to it. Did, did you have a favorite character? Uh, oh, I think I put notes. Let me see here. <laughs> notes are good. Oh, I wrote Jesper. Jesper. Oh, how do you say the girl's name? No, well, I wasn't sure. Uh, how do you say the girl with the J for her last name or for her? Oh, Kim can do this one. She's watched Shadow and Bones. Oh, I don't. <laughs> the Wraith's name, which again, I don't know if the, the J. The, the female what, what with Kaz I... and Jesper. Yeah, I, I don't know. Okay, Inej. Inej is how you say it. Okay. That's kind of how I was pronouncing it in my head, but I wasn't like, I wasn't sure if it was more of like a Y sound or or not. But then it, no. if it was a Y sound, it would be really weird. So I wasn't sure. Or yeah. possibly Wylan. Those were the three I had written as potentials, but I did say in all capitals, not Matthias or Matthias, however you Matthias. pronounce it, or Nina. I could not stand either of them at all. I liked them more the first time I read the book, but not the second time. Oh, see, I thoroughly enjoyed Nina and Matthias. Matthias. Is that how it is? Matthias? I think so. I'm trying to remember how they said it in the show. See, I didn't Matthias? watch the show. I should have I watched it, was... it just to get the names. <laughs> you should have. Oh, but, oh. Actually, a halfway decent show. 
She liked it enough to pick up Shadow and Bones. So, okay, for clarification, before this duology, there is a trilogy that is the Shadow and Bones trilogy. We opted to skip that one because it's not Sarah's favorite and it doesn't necessarily play out as well as the show does. Like, it's got some parts to it, but it's an author's first series and sometimes those just don't have the complexity that you need. They kind of adhere more to publishing editor requirements as opposed to having a bit more freedom in their exploration. While as we felt, I felt that the duology does a better job of that in terms of getting to see diversity and such. If you hear awkward pauses, it's because currently (laughs) Kim is wrestling a Connor. (laughs) Which is a cat, just for reference. (laughs) Yeah, it's a cat. And I've got mine growling around the microphone so the cats are out in full force right now yeah and connor keeps attacking my arm so it's it's a little painful (laughs) so so we i think we can go about this one of two ways do we want to discuss by character plot line or do we want to attempt to navigate the entirety of that plot that is the book sarah which do you think would be easier the plot's all that complicated it's a heist like i mean there's random background stuff thrown in which is not done very well but it's still pretty complicated because we're not just doing one singular heist. We have two heists, almost three. I'm sorry. Give me just a moment. My cat is trying to climb into a box. <laughs> I mean, that's what they do. Yes, but when Daenerys climbs into boxes, it's questionable about well, what the outcome will be. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, then we'll do it by character. So Lee can start. Well, you you had strong opinions about Nina and uh, Matthias. Matthias. Oh, good guard. Just pick one. <laughs> Matthias. His name is Matthias. Call him that. From I know here it's. On out. I know it's not Matthias. It's. It's. I'm not sure if it's Matthias or Matthias. I just don't know what the th- the th does. Uh, okay, so we'll start with Nina. <laughs> so why did you not like Nina? I. Uh, she was annoying i guess um it's my big thing like i didn't understand why matthias would even like her because she was so annoying so the whole romance thing just didn't seem plausible but then matthias was like an asshole and like also very unlikable also i saw pictures that people posted on tumblr from the show and the actor is just like oh so like that significantly lowered my enjoyment of the character too. Just knowing that he had like a massive cleft chin was really hard to get past. But yeah, for Nina, I think it was mostly just like, I didn't like their interactions and the romance didn't work for me. And that's her whole story was basically just Matthias, like trying to help him for some reason. I just later on, like near the end of the book, I was like, okay, little better but yeah i just didn't like that any of that oh it's really funny because she's actually one of my favorite characters i think i like her the first time i read the book she's in the show which one is she in the show she is the spy that gets kidnapped um oh and it is in the is in the slave ship yeah yeah okay and has the 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 whole slave ship the well not the slave ship it's actually the the dress goal dress goal which is what Matthias is um she and then they they have their weird like 
shared bed moment where they have to strip down in order to stay warm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. All of yep. that is in this book. All of that is actually from this storyline in terms of looking back at that having happened to them. And it's kind of the setup as to why he's in the prison and they have to break him out of the prison, which is the first half of the first like third of this book is them breaking yeah, they spend a lot of time on that <laughs> too much time well we have to establish that you know kaz is actually skilled enough to break them out get a chance to meet all the characters and stuff and that was just a, a way to lead into that since we hadn't actually met them before but i actually like nina i like the fact that nina is like brazenly herself uh, it's kind of refreshing to have a female character who discusses the fact that she likes food and is not ashamed of being curvier and overweight. Not overweight, but she, she's... The authors come out and said she's a plus-sized character. So, being a plus-sized character, which I've, I'm doing air quotes for, and it doesn't doesn't hinder her ability to do anything. And then she has someone she cares about and she knows maybe that she shouldn't care about him, but she does. And I think there's kind of a a beauty to the tragedy that is them, which is this whole Romeo, Juliet, star-crossed lover kind of concept going on that plays well off of other star-crossed lovers in this whole book. (laughs) So I liked Nina and I like Matthias. Matthias is a bit more... Matthias... Is a bit more, <laughs> I can't help it. My brain doesn't like how I'm saying it. He's a bit more bland in the book than I think he was on the oh. show. I think the show actually gave the character a bit more charisma and and depth than he sometimes has in this book. So, but I like them. I like their storyline a lot. And I like the fact that you spend the entire book wondering if they are going to harm each other in the sense of, will Nina kill or not kill him? What She's about, you know, will Nina, I don't remember. I don't know what my thought was going with that. Basically, as they head to the ice court, which is his home, like, land hometown home city where he was trained to be a dress goal you know the question is is he going to give up their heist in order to return back to his people or has he actually fallen fallen enough in love with nina to want to stick with her and not give her over because his people do incredibly cruel things to uh grisha so i like that i like that question throughout (laughs) i just heard a cat (laughs) okay well what about let's see did you what did you feel about kaz i'm sure you have strong opinions about kaz too i don't actually have that strong of opinions on kaz i mean he was insufferable in the beginning all of them i mean honestly it's like oh here we have a 17 year old prodigy and here's another 17 year old prodigy and here's another one all living on the streets, masterminds, super skilled, whatever. Okay, they're teenagers, <laughs> but sure, it's believable. So then we got apparently very intimidating 17-year-old Kaz. Uh, but honestly, he did grow on me. I mean, I guess as you kind of learn his backstory, he becomes a little bit more understandable. I still don't think he's a very realistic character, but... None of them are. I mean, it's young adult I mean, it may fantasy. Maybe because of the age range. 
I know, I know. But it's like, <laughs> I just get tired of these like 16 year old or 17 year old plucky teenagers who are somehow so skilled compared to every single other adult in the world. Somehow these kids broke into the ice court, which apparently is not that secure after all, because teenagers did it. But whatever. Um, <laughs> fantasy. I must suspend disbelief. I know. But I can't. Sometimes I just can't. Yeah, except um, they weren't all that lucky. Like, they, they weren't all that skilled. It was a level of, like, just luck. I know, which is really saying something about the ice court then, because, I mean, if you can just break people out of it through luck, a string of lucky, I don't even know the word for it, events, it's just, uh, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was really all that hard of a place with how they managed to do it. But that's not important. Kaz, 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 Kaz. Honestly, I don't really think I have much of an opinion on him. So what like, did I was you feel with him at first. About oh. the whole can't touch things or can't touch people. I mean, sure. Seems a little extreme. But really? Is- really? Someone, he, he was literally dying had a fever was put onto a death barge with his brother's dead body and then had to use said body in order to get back to ketterdam and you feel having an, an, an apprehension about touching people is a little extreme it's not no well i mean i was about to say i mean considering what he went through it kind of makes sense but i still think it feels kind of exaggerated just the fact that he like not just a misapprehension like he is physically revolted. It makes sense, again. <laughs> but it also just seems like a very extreme reaction. But at the same time, like when he was in the prison truck and he's like going to, he passes out from being in close with all those people, like, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And it was kind of good seeing that happen, that he didn't just like magically power through it with his teenage pluckiness or anything. I feel sorry for all the actually plucky teenagers out there. They're getting a bad rap from you. Freaking yeah. Gen Z's. <laughs> yeah, Sarah doesn't like you guys, apparently. Let's. <laughs> but no, they have to actually be plucky. I mean, the majority of teenagers out there aren't plucky. All they want to do is just follow what everybody else is doing. And well, damn, there went any listeners we were going to maybe get. <laughs> They're now thinking, screw those millennials Teenagers are their the future. They're great. I'll <laughs> <laughs> um, hail the teenagers. <laughs> so I will say the first time I read this, I was indifferent to Kaz. It wasn't a dislike or like, but rereading it and realizing that... So he comes off the first time you read it as like some sort of incredible mastermind that is highly yeah. aware of the situation. And then it, when you reread it, when you reread it, you start to realize that he's just observant of his surroundings. And so his reactions are always being aware of people and the situation and then adjusting his plan to get there, which I think, Kim, you've watched the show. Sarah obviously hasn't. I think they did a good job of portraying that in the show that he's still in that, at least when the show's happening, still in that developmental stage of learning how to read a situation in order to excel at it, as opposed to just magically being able to succeed. Yeah, no, they they do a good job with that on the show. Um, 
Are, are you waving your hand because you want to say yeah, I have something? a question? Yeah. No, I have a question for those who have seen the show. Um, so does the show include like the heist part or is it supposed to be like what they were doing during the time that Alina and what what's their faces were all doing mm-hmm. their stupid stuff? So what it is, is Kaz, Jasper and Inej are tasked with bringing the Sun Summoner to Ketterdam. So they have to break Did that happen bolt. in the book? No, it didn't happen in the oh. book. They added it for the show so you could meet the character Uh-oh. sooner. Which you haven't read Rule of Wolves yet. It it makes sense why they did oh. that in the show. And when you come get Rule of Wolves from me, it'll then you'll get to the end and you'll be like, ah, I see. <laughs> Just remember Nikolai. You'll get Nikolai. I know. I know. But we still have to read Crooked Kingdom. And then I just want to be done with this universe. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I know that feeling. I was there with the Raven Cycle. (laughs) (laughs) So. Yeah. And I sucked up four books there. (laughs) They were short, though. They were like 300, 400 pages. This was 464 pages. Oh. Well, Crooked Kingdom, I think, is like 600 and something. (laughs) It definitely seems thicker. It's still less than the other four books all combined. (laughs) But um, it it makes sense when they do it in the show why they brought them on earlier so you could start to meet them and kind of shows that more of that vulnerability in those three characters. Plus, you meet Nina and Matthias who are going through their thing simultaneously, which makes moderate sense in terms of them doing their whole meat situation at the same time even though in the books nina's supposed to have been part of the development of the new second army not so she's post darkling influence not during darkling influence but it meshes all the characters together better and so how do you feel about kaz and inez then as a uh pair I mean, oh. <laughs> so I guess I would say that I don't necessarily dislike it, but I also don't really care about it. I'm indifferent. That would be, I guess, the word for it. Um, there. And then, yeah, and then there's the line that Inej gives to Kaz near the end that kind of pissed me off. And so then I was just like, whatever. You know, as you were kind of my favorite character, but now I'm not so sure. Is it? Which, let me see here. I bet you I have it marked. It's the one I put in the notes, but yeah, I don't know if you have it noted as well. Is it, I will have you without armor, Kaz Brecker? Yes. Or I will not have you at all? Yeah. <laughs> see, I love that line. What a thing. What a thing to tell someone with trauma. Just get over it. I don't want you unless... I don't, I don't, I did not That's take how I that read it as, because it's oh, like, no, no, I took that much she's referencing more... like, go ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry. There must be quite a lag. Cause it's like, she's referencing like, will he ever touch her or anything like that? And then when he can't respond, then she gives him that line. So it just comes off as like, if you're never going to be able to touch me, then I don't want you. Like you either need to get over it or. And that's it. Like, just kind of like an ultimatum. So it just made me bristle. And I didn't like that at all. See, I did not take it as her needing him to touch her. It was that he needed to be open and honest with her. 
Um, yeah, he and was, I mean, if that had been the... Oh, shh, lag. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because he's confessed that he wants her and she wants clarity as to what it is. Because she asked, how will you have me? She repeated, fully clothed, gloves on, your head turned away so our lips can never touch. He released her hand, his shoulder bunching, his gaze angry and ashamed as he turned his face to the sea. Maybe it was because his back was to her that she could finally speak words. So I don't take it as a she has to have him be able to touch her. But the fact that he turned away from her first, if he if he can't face how to handle that situation together, how can she be expected to have a relationship with him? But like the thing she's asking him, like. He can't say that, yes, he's going to be able to or that to reassure her that it wouldn't be whatever she had just said, the clothes on and, yeah. and everything like that. So it's like, but he doesn't, I don't know. I did not get the sense that it was just him being honest because like, if that was what it was about, I wouldn't have cared. It just, it really sounded to me like she wanted him to get over his whole thing about touching and wearing gloves and all that to be with her. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I, I can understand that interpretation. I, I I just didn't take it that way. I took it very much as a, if he can't begin to have that conversation with her, how could he ever be with her? And why should she make all the effort to make that conversation happen and that situation happen if he can't even give her what his limitations are? So I I, I didn't blame her for saying if if you can't if you can't take away your armor to have this conversation with me, then I, I can't be with you. And that's completely fair. When someone's had trauma, if they can't, if they can't handle that trauma and they can't trust you enough to let them in under that trauma to then try to figure out how you function within it, then it's totally fair for the other person to say, nope, I, I can't pursue something if you're never going to let me into that space and tell me what the limitations of that space are because then you're just floundering around and eventually you're going to do something that triggers that person and upsets them. And then you've hurt them and ruined them in a way you didn't want to. So I, I think it was completely fair. Right. And I mean, like if it was about the physicality of it, like the fact that if Inej wants that and he's not able to provide it, it makes sense. But like just the way that she says it as like an ultimatum, that's where it was like, I was like, okay, that was kind of extreme. But yeah, I guess it just depends on how you interpret that. Yeah, I think so. I don't, what are I your... don't think you can force somebody through their trauma either. So, I mean, yeah, she's making him, she's making him alleviate the problem rather than, I'm not, I'm not sure, quite sure what I'm trying to say. It, it's kind of like, she's not, coming halfway like she's not meeting right. halfway or trying to work anything out it's like you either fix this or okay again so the ultimatum sense i would argue on the flip side that at the same time kaz is expecting her to live with her trauma so in the story we find out that she was stolen from her family forced into the menagerie to it's never explicitly stated but it, it's a brothel so she was forced to do sexual acts he uh helped get her out of the menagerie and she's now at the point where she is potentially going to have enough money to leave and he's telling her no please stay in Ketterdam stay here where you've had trauma where your family isn't he he's expecting her to stay with him 
in a place that's done her harm, but he's not willing to then assess his own traumas. And he doesn't want to leave with her because he has a vendetta against uh, Pekka Rollins that he wants to finish off as opposed to leaving with her. I think it's very rare that two people who have, uh, and these are obviously very extremely traumatic events. And um, I think it's, it's unreasonable that any two people are going to come process through their trauma and come out of it at the same time. And so when you have two people that are dealing with these things, there's going to be a lot of conflict. As yeah. they, you know, as one lurches forward and feels good, and then they have back steps, and then the other one goes forward and they feel good, and then they have back steps. None of that is going to occur at the same time. Yeah. So, um, so, but I, I agree with Sarah. Yeah, it's realistic, but I agree with Sarah. Putting down an ultimatum is not the way to deal with the situation. Um, I don't just argue. I don't think that Inej put down the ultimatum first in this situation. I think she responded. I don't know. I know. (laughs) Um, I think her response was into Kaz trying to force her or trying to, I don't want to say force her. He was asking her. He was asking asking her her to stay. Yeah. And she was asking under what circumstances does staying meet? Am I just your wraith who kills for you? Am I just this person that you want to be around, but you can't stand to touch? And why should I stick around when I'm surrounded by things that have hurt me and I don't know where my family is. I, I, I really, I've struggled to find her comment unreasonable. I think it was a reasonable response to someone who's just asked you to stay. But when you ask them a realistic question of what does that mean? And they turn your back to you to say, I can't do that. It's not nice. It's not, it's not what you want. You want it to be wholesome and, and that, you know, they'll just magically work together. But I think it's completely reasonable for her to say, I can't, I can't do that. I have my own traumas. I can't. Right. But she doesn't say that. She says, I'll have you without your armor or not at all. So again, it's not that her, her needs or her desires are wrong. It's just, again, (laughs) I don't, agree with she's not owning her own take on it she's saying you have to change because that's what i want so she you know she she's i'm trying i keep trying to say this she's making him be the catalyst instead of her deciding to be her own catalyst if she can't have him one way or another then she just needs to leave oh but she's already at this point decided she wants to leave this well, is his last ditch effort. Not. No, this was his okay. last ditch effort to get her to to stay because she actually starts this conversation going, when I get my money, I'm getting a ship and I'm going to go stop. I'm going to go well, find then I my would family. Think that if he turned his back, he, he told her what he wants her to do. He wants her to leave. Yeah. Even if he says one thing and he does another, he, he yeah, I think he's indicated that yeah. he's not ready for what I she I think wants. it's a, a very complex moment. Which is why I like it and marked it. <laughs> um, and I liked, again, it's kind of another star-crossed situation where they just don't quite, it doesn't quite work right when you want it to. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to see how it continues to play out because obviously she doesn't leave by the end of the book. It's not like she's magically left and life is good. Um, well, she got it, kidnapped, so. I think actually she was, okay. We've obviously read the second book, but... They believe she's dead. 
I think she's been kidnapped by. Did they? Yeah, so that they'll turn over Kue. Yeah, I just know that she was confronted by the Tide Makers, and I thought they thought that she had been. No, they grabbed her and they stole her. Okay. So that they'd have to trade Kue to get her free. I thought they had. Okay. Give me just I mean, a moment. I finished I... it like Thursday, so I could be wrong. Or Wednesday. Okay. Because on page 456. He, Kaz said, thinks, I'm going to get my money, Kaz vowed, and I'm going to get my girl. Anesh can never be his, not really, but he would find a way to give her the freedom he promised her so long ago. Dirty hands had come to see the rough work done. His, his, his dirty hands comment is so weird. <laughs> and it's like That's pointless, too. It's like, it doesn't matter at all for the story. Like, why even give him a nickname? Well, just because it's to create a persona for, you know, dangerous Ketterdam, as opposed yeah. to, you know, just being Kaz. But I mean, obviously, what I was saying is obviously Inej does not just get to simply be free at the end of this book. We still have another book to go before we learn how they play out. We just so we couldn't have them be happy. They had to have conflict still. Even Nina and Mateus have conflict because, well, Mateus has forsaken his people because he helped them escape now nina has taken parim which is a like a drug that turns grisha into super grishas but it's highly addictive and they like lose their own sense of control so she had to take a dose to save them and so now they are trying to figure out how to fix nina if they can even fix nina because she was coming out of a drug overdose. I don't know. If she, I don't think by this that she's fully overcome it yet. Okay, so then that leaves us with our last duo that we haven't talked about yet, which is Jesper and Wylan. So what are your feelings there, Sarah? Um, I like those two characters. They're pretty, pretty fun. Obviously, the gambling addiction thing that Jesper has... It's one of those things where it's like, oh, my God, you're such a moron. But I mean, you know, it's an addiction. It's not like he can necessarily help it. So can't hold it against him. But that was like the one thing I was like, oh, my God, you just keep making like to get into these situations, like taking a loan or having your dad give you a loan or something using the price of his farm and then just gambling it all away. My God. But he was a fun character. Like it was when he was in scenes and stuff. Um, never really got annoyed with him as a character and, and Wylan was fun and their dynamic is fun. So yeah, that's why they're like probably my favorite characters, but kind of a low bar for that. See, that's why you need to watch the show. Cause Jesper has hilarious scenes in the show. Um, because. I saw, yeah. I saw some post about like something about a goat and I was like, that seems <laughs> really stupid. Like I do not want to watch Milo. Jesper. And a goat. No, it was, it's not stupid. Hell? It's it's cute. He he, <laughs> he goes out of his way to save that damn goat. Okay, so what it is is um because this is kind of a spoiler for Kim because obviously she hasn't read these books. So he they're in the fold. They're in a train trying to get through the fold. And Sarah, you know what the fold is? It's that giant void thingy that the darklings made. 
they're in the trade and the train is being attacked by the demon creatures that are in the fold because I can't remember their names off the top of my head. And the train, the conductor is the name of the character, had them get a goat a certain amount of coal. And I think there was one other thing. And of course, Jasper was tasked with getting the coal and was given money. As you can imagine, he gambled it away. So he stole the coal and he was short by four pounds. So they weren't going to have of coal. So they weren't going to quite have enough coal to get through the fold. So they're going, they're going, they're going. And then the coal goes runs out they haven't quite reached the tracks to get to the other side the creatures are now attacking them jesper is freaking out and the conductor tells him to pick up the goat milo and the guy jesper screams i'm not going to kill the goat the conductor says no it's for you and he manages to calm down and this is where it's a spoiler for kim he's a fabricator so he is grisha but he's not who is the conductor or, or jesper yeah okay So the goat is there to calm him down. So that way then he will use his Grisha abilities with his gun to stop the creatures. Goat calms him down. He does his whole Grisha awareness, fabricating shit, and boom, they make it out of the fold just barely. (laughs) And now everyone loves the goat and his name is St. Milo. (laughs) So... I thought that was a great moment in the show that really highlights the reality of the book, which is you spend most of the book thinking that somehow Jesper just miraculously kind of gets himself out of situations only for you to realize he's actually a fabricator and therefore he can manipulate metals. So he's adapted his guns specifically for his use. They're not normal guns. They wouldn't work for just anyone. Um, He helps to... Uh, take one of the gates down in the process because he can work with metals but he's been hiding his entire life because he doesn't want to get trapped into going into the second army as a grisha and he also did not want people like uh, Matthias to take him and then burn him and kill him and what have you um, because they view his people his skills as unhumane unhuman inhuman view his skills as inhuman um so i like him because it really he just is trying to hide his skills and then he has a horrible gambling addiction to the point where we find out in the entire by the end of the book we find out that he's actually betrayed kaz accidentally because he owed a debt and he told his debtors oh i'll be you know out of i'll be back soon and i'll pay you off and without realizing it he gave away the fact that they were all going to do this big, massive heist, which sent Kaz's competition, uh, the guy who ripped him and his brother off, uh, Pika Rollins. Pika Rollins? Pika um, I think they say Peak, Peak Rollins in the show, but that doesn't make sense when I look at it. <laughs> so it's P-E-K-K-A. Uh, for your reference, Kim, he he's the other like the uh, in the show he's the uh, mob boss. Mm-hmm. So him, he in the books he did a heist back when Kaz was like nine years old that ripped off his and his brother Jordy's money from their farm because their parents had died. 
So he scammed them out of all of their money, which caused them to be on the streets, which caused them to get sick, which caused Jordy to die, which caused Kaz to end up on the death barge himself and go through his trauma. And so his goal is to eventually just make it so Pika Rollins no longer has any success because basically his success was built off of Kaz's money. So... (laughs) long-winded complicated i'm not even where i sure where i started that which is why i feel this book is not easy is because one thing one string kind of tugs on everything and you've got this giant web of situations that feed on each other um to kind of build the story i feel like sarah's only half here (laughs) i'm paying attention it's just a long discussion on Pika Rollins and <laughs> Pekka, Pika, I don't, yeah, or Peck, Peek, Peek, I don't know. I and don't then there's, know. and then there's the other mob boss who you don't really see, who doesn't really matter as much, but uh, the one that Kaz works for, so Per Haskell, Per Haskell is like, why would you start both of their names with a P-E? Because now I honestly, like a few times when Pekka would come up, I would be like, oh, so he's the bad guy now? And I was like, oh, wait, no, this is a different guy. <laughs> So I had trouble keeping the mob bosses straight. Uh, Why? They don't need to be that similar. <laughs> yeah. All mob bosses are the same. <laughs> I mean, they really don't have a whole lot of characteristics to them in the book. One no. of them doesn't even show up. The other's just, uh, oh, he comes up in the next one. Dude. Does he? Yeah, perhaps Cole comes up in the next one. Okay, yeah, because I kept waiting for him to come up, which I think is why I kept getting him and Pekka yeah. confused. They they come up but, in the next book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the next one. Don't be so excited there, Sarah. Oh, I'll be st- I'm stoked to be almost done with You're halfway. this two part. Yeah. It's like it was only two parts, but oh, boy. Yeah. And we listen to another book that you you like, or we listen to. <laughs> we Which, read another book that you like. <laughs> so. Which one is that? Red, White, is and White. Is that But, so. Before books. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Don't be excited, Sarah. No, no excitement about the podcast. That That's not, that's not allowed. <laughs> Man, so hard, though. So stoked all the time. <laughs> Oh, what's hard is people don't know your personality very well, Sarah. They don't know that uh, that this is just you. <laughs> you just you don't like anything. <laughs> it's just easier that way. Life cannot fail you if you don't like things. <laughs> Am I wrong? I know, and it's serving me so well. <laughs> oh. What are you doing? <laughs> what? You were like you're shoving your hands against your face. <laughs> okay, oh, I was giving myself like a little double chin, and then I was like playing with the skin. I don't know why, just because <laughs> you can see yourself you on the screen. Face. It's entertaining. <laughs> okay, so what about Wylan? What? How do you feel? I mean, we we discussed Jasper, and Jasper is just a delight in all the wrong ways. But your feelings on Wylan? I like Wylan too. Uh, you don't really get as much. I don't think you ever really get a chapter from his perspective, do you? We might get some in Crooked Kingdom, but not in this book. 
Yeah. So it's like, you don't really know everything that's going on with Wylan. I mean, like at the very end, you learn, oh, he can't read. He's but dyslexic. Most, just, well, is he though? Mm-hmm. I got the sense that he was completely illiterate. But no, he, um, which maybe it doesn't fully discuss it in this book, but I do remember what it is, is that he has the problem of when he looks at words, the letters all like shift around the page and stuff on him. So it's not that Mm. he's incapable of learning. He's quite intelligent. He's not illiterate. He just has never had the ability to get reading to work for him the way he wants to. So I think he's supposed to be representative of someone who has dyslexia Uh, um, and the struggle they face with that. Yeah, I mean, I guess since it's his dad who's, like, giving this revelation and his dad is very disappointed to have had a son with this problem, he's not going to go into specifics. He's just going to be like, this kid can't read. Yeah. He sucks. I don't want him anymore. But yeah, no, I liked Wylan well enough, maybe because you don't see enough of him to, like, get tired of him or whatever. And again, I just liked it when he and Jesper were interacting because it was usually fun or or lighter moments you don't and have slightly to deal romantic with... yeah towards that, that too <laughs> and yeah you don't have to deal with nina and matthias their friction and kaz and freaking out about his old traumas and inej freaking about out about the slavery stuff which again entirely understandable but at a certain point it's like I just want to focus on what's present, not the things that have happened in your past. How dare you have the traumas of your people keeping you from each other? How <laughs> dare you have the traumas of being put into slavery and forced to be in a brothel disrupt you? How dare your brother die and you have to use his body to float across the bay? Not acceptable in Sarah's eyes. She just wants the male-on-male ex- romance. I'm a- <laughs> That's not even it. Um, but I will say that the flashbacks, I don't... They were weird. More than Nina Matias stuff because mm-hmm. they came in so late. So like at the start, it's like, was there a book I was supposed to read that would have explained all this? <laughs> and you don't get that until like halfway through the book. It's like, oh, this is what happened. Also, here's a really fast overview of it. And so that just, it. I don't know. At that point, it's like, okay, I don't even care anymore. I've figured out most of this stuff. So it's just like retreading in more detail than we need or less i don't even know it's not even that detailed um kaz it's good to get that background but i again i feel like it comes in so late that it's like i don't know how she would have put it in sooner but at the same time putting it in so late was kind of disruptive to the flow of the story to me oh i I don't find it i didn't find it disruptive I guess I also just have a problem with flashbacks in general. It's always like, oh, good Lord. I think it worked nicely because we got them through that first heist, which is them getting uh, Matthias out of prison. And it seems like it goes off without a hitch. It seems it goes easy. We get this really strong sense of who they are. And as they're actually trying to go for the big, bad break into the ice court, we realize that their past traumas are actually what are going to hinder them from being successful and why they struggled to do it. So it makes sense to me as we're getting into that second heist and particularly setting up for it, that we start to learn more about what's going to give them flaws. So Kaz's inability to touch people, but he's got to get into a prison cart where he will be surrounded by bodies and be unable to see anyone 
kind of lends itself to potentially getting caught. You know, Nina and Matthias being from literally warring um, countries and they have to get over, you know, the expectations of each of their countries and learn to like each other without that um, and then decide to go against both the Grisha Ravka country and the Fyrden people in order to, for the greater good of all, break out a scientist who is designing a drug that could make the Grisha almost godlike, but godlike under somebody else's control. You know, that's a, that's a lot. And, and you kind of have to know why it is that the past them were fighting and why we may not be able to trust that they will do the right thing for their group and for each other. Because, I mean, why would Nina kill this scientist or attempt to kill this scientist instead of helping her current crew? Why would uh, Mateus go against Brom? Well, I mean, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> you know, why would Mateus go over Brom when he's finally back in his home city and could just return to being what he's been groomed to be his entire life, which is uh, Dreskel who hunt Grisha? Hmm. The, the backstory yeah. kind of gives you that sense of where they were and where they're changing, which then validates why they make the choices they do. I think maybe I mean, that something that can kind of come across in books is, is, is writers can choose whether they're going to impart all of that information from within the story they're telling, or they do flashbacks. Um, I am not a fan of flashbacks, but I'm a snobby reader. And I, I, I feel that's a rather lazy way to write it. It, and it takes you out of the story they're telling to tell you this past story to, yes. to identify the, the, the story you're telling. Whereas if you, you know, put some effort into it, either through conversation or through actions, expressing what's why the, the characters are doing the things they're doing. But again, it's, it's, it's a writing choice. Um, yeah. it's, it's just not one that I'm fond of. I think this was one of those few rare times where it, these really weren't conversations they could be having with each other. And where the TV show actually succeeds better because we are getting that development and we do get to go into that past and have that past development without. Because uh, I would say this very much plays out like a TV show flashback. I where hate TV show flashbacks too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's so exhausting. funny. Make a note because we'll discuss this with the uh, Andy Weir book when we, when we get to it. Oh, and let um, me guess, you love it in that. I love it. I love it. Because guess what? There aren't any flashbacks. <laughs> oh, you were just going to say we're going to discuss this. I know. Like, like there was going to be splashbacks. No, no, no. He, he, he does a brilliant job of telling the story. Um, okay, that just came out, so we're not going to discuss it. Mm. People have not <laughs> had the chance to read it. We're not discussing it. Well, somebody it else in my bloody life needs to read this book because I want to talk about it to somebody. But nobody's reading it yet because we're going to no, discuss, we'll discuss it in, like, it in three like months. three months. <laughs> well, I have to read it in the next three weeks, so... Okay, we'll talk about it because oh, I love the book. And you I'm going to read text the, each other back the and forth. Bot. Yeah, I'm going to read the murder bot books that you read. So good. And They're really good. I think I'm going to like them. But Amberly said you're going to get the audio book. I haven't decided yet. Okay. I did so. warn her that the audio person oh. may not be of to her liking i have zero oh, I patience for sitting and reading anymore i need to be doing about but they're short books things. they're really short i know books. i know it's it's hard for me to sit still 
I, I'm generally playing She's games. Gotta play Stardew Valley. To a book. I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, especially since Connor loves Stardew. That's how I watch TV. I have to be doing something else. Yeah. I can't just sit and watch TV. Yeah. The lag is making yeah. it so your mouth is not moving in time to your words, Sarah. <laughs> because I'm not really a ventriloquist. This is just the doll part. But anyway, back the to the back ventriloquist. to the book. I don't I don't like flashbacks. I, I think it's um I think there are always ways to develop characters without necessarily having to break out of the story you're writing, tell a different story, and then get back into the story you're writing. So that's but that's that's I don't me. know how well that would have worked for this, just in terms of the type of story it was. Yes, Sarah. Oh, well, I didn't want to interrupt you. I just had a point <laughs> to make once you're done. <laughs> Go Make ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, the Kaz one, I think, makes sense. And it's good to have that detail because Kaz is never, ever, ever going to talk in that much detail about what happened to him. Like, he, based on the kind of character he is, that would never come up in conversation he might reflect on it at some point, but again, you're still not going to get the kind of detail that you get in the flashback. But the Nina and Matthias one, honestly, like all I remember from that flashback is that they're on a ship. It crashes. They have to get naked and cuddle. And then they walk into town. <laughs> and at some point, like, again, it's not even like, I don't feel like it's built out very well in the flashback. Like at some point they get close. Like they go from being enemies to being friends. And then she betrays him. Which isn't like it doesn't explain why she betrays him in the flashback. She tells him at a later date, like, or in a conversation, oh, there were some people I had to like tell them you were a slaver so that they wouldn't take you and interrogate you and kill you or whatever. So as to protect you. But you don't get that in the flashback. You get that in a conversation. So that whole storyline. I think the flashback is from Mateus's point of view. He wouldn't know that information. No. But you also get Nina's point of view. Because she but has the that, flashback about not the moment in the in the city or in the town. Her flashbacks are on the ship. Right. And then his See, are the ones. So you his get are two the flashbacks. Ones. Yeah, you get the, the yes. ship where she she you get from her point of view what it was like to be on the ship and getting free. And then them and the whole um the whole one bed trope. Oh yeah, that was that was from his perspective. That's right. That was from his um, perspective. So it cuts off right at the moment where he wouldn't have known that, and that's why she then tells it to you. And the only reason why is because we get that flashback. But then why that is moment. it necessary? Why was his flashback because, necessary? Like because in that moment in the chapter, he's coming to realize that he does like the way she talks, and he realizes the prime example is the way that she talked when she's such a bitch to him. Like okay, I mean, I guess if he's into that. She's just playful and sassy. Sure. Playful with her slaver. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I usually, you know, like the enemies to lovers thing, but this was just like not hitting it for me on any of the beats. It was like Nina's coming off of a bad guy. Which, yeah, that's true. That is true. Neither. Well, I mean, Matthias is a villain-ish. He's just not evil enough not to really, really qualify. But I mean, he's like, oh, he's like a minion at best. <laughs> that captures people and then innocent people and, you know, burns them because they're just abominations. So, I mean, you know, not really a good guy. He's a minion at best. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the evil mastermind. Okay, I don't know. So you that can't enemy the lovers. Did not. 
yeah, I just don't know. And yeah, the flashbacks say, again. Oh, I'll say watching that sequence of events in the show, they managed to, to cover it pretty well and not make, I mean, when they got into the bed, I obviously rolled my eyes because it is such a thing. <laughs> it's a trope. It's a one it bed is a trope. Huge trope. Um, <laughs> huge trope i don't think there's been a i mean the floor is right thing. there if there's only one bed, i know i know there's a they gotta warm up. floor gotta yeah warm they up. had to warm up but but they did in in the show they portray their coming to the same point very well and then the break of that point to where it it comes that's where the again. season cuts for them yeah is, is yeah it, the town they they cover it pretty well in the show by itself with other well okay within the show it was like why are we even talking about these people it's like they're off in another part of the world doing some random thing and then there's this main thing going on in the show and i'm just like why do we keep going to these people and amber just goes trust me trust me trust me it it all works out in the end and i'm like okay whatever then of course it it doesn't it doesn't work out by the end of the the season Um, other than it sets up nina to need an edge yes yes there's that one last scene basically six of crows the book picks up at that point right right it's roughly that point where where she a year later basically everything that happens in the tv show is this book's flashbacks. Except for Kaz. We don't get Kaz's flashbacks in this. You don't know that Kaz is, and you don't know that Jesper is a fabricator. You just get Nina and Mateus's flashbacks in the show. Well, But they're not flashbacks. Yeah. They're present time. And present time because... They become this book's flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, flashbacks. We don't like them. <laughs> I don't know if this, this episode's going to make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, we went the character route rather than the plot route, though the plot route would have been really windy they steal matthias from hellgate they gather their people they go to the ice court they get the scientist dude out of the ice court inej gets stolen the end that is like a way oversimplification of what happened in the book in terms of plot because we start out with them discovering that parim is a thing so the drug that turns the grisha is like intense it's barely important I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't give me that it's, look like, on your face. it's like that the entire awesome. premise of this and the next duology is this drug. I know. I know. I know. It's the whole driving force behind the story. Like, the entire four books. This is the, like the I factor. Mean, None actually, of it would have yeah, happened I, without of it. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, like I said, I was being sarcastic. But you don't know because my sarcastic tone is the same as my normal tone. I apologize. But that's right. I forgot that Nina gets interesting in the next book after she's got the 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 whatever you called it, the parim. Is that how they pronounce it? P a r e e m. It hasn't actually come up in. Oh, I thought it was the P a r e m. Nope. I spell. I I wrote it down. It's P a r e e m. I believe. I believe. Oh. I thought I was always calling it parim. Um, because Jurda is the like simple version of it that's okay. Oh, sorry, par it's P A R E M. Okay. I still think it's I don't Again, know how it's still don't know how to pronounce it, but Parum? I mean that's how I would do it in my head, but I don't know that that's correct. I don't know. I don't see yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't spell words well. I don't sound words out well. We've <laughs> and some of the times like 
or like Jerda. It's like, is it Jerda? Do we know that for sure? Uh, yeah, yes. I think it came up in the in the show. In the show, because um, sometimes J's are wise and sometimes they are more of that J sound. So I never yeah, know. Yeah, I'm not sure because she mixes Russian, Danish, Norwegian, and Scandinavian. Hmm. Like, oh, <laughs> I came across, I came across a TikTok video of someone explaining what Grisha means in Russian. Oh, yes, I like, saw that on Tumblr. It's like, what does it mean? It's like um a common name that you would like, like it's it's a it's common the short Russian form name. Of Gregory. And oh. so it's 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 like one person gave the example of it would be like calling something uh Kevin verse. Yeah, like Greg. <laughs> They're all Greg Kevin's. <laughs> They're all Greg. So her her language choices are odd. And for people who don't speak the languages, it it sounds like really Ooh, sounds exotic and exotic and stuff. And the people who speak the language are like, Y'all are saying gracious like Greg? it's like this big, like it's a big <laughs> magical word, and it's like Greg. <laughs> it's like That's a common funny. name for people. <laughs> um so i don't know some of the words that's that's i'm like i have no clue if i'm saying this right because yeah i'm not sure what what language or it originated it and i don't know what they speak in amsterdam dutch oh Uh, yeah dutch dutch okay i wasn't sure and like uh on the show um a lot of the fans joke about the fact that they call it a kruger the coin Oh, but it doesn't have an R at the end. It's a Krug. Oh, it's K-R-U-G-E. But when you listen to them talk about it on the show, they say Kruger. Are they just pronouncing the E without an R like Kruger? Or yeah, is I was going to say, is it Kruger? I don't, I don't know. It sounds kind of like they're saying Kruger, but it might be they're saying Kruger or however yeah. you just said it, Sarah. Uh, either way, it's really weird because it, things just don't. <laughs> It's really hard to assess what things are supposed to be in the, like how they're supposed to be said, because I don't have the language background for it. I can barely say English words correctly half the time. <laughs> uh, you throw in other languages and it's like, dear Lord Amberly, shut up. <laughs> I am the person who literally looked at my own name and because it didn't have an extra E, did not go, that's Amberly. Oh, yeah. I read that entire book without realizing that it was Amberly. <laughs> Because it didn't have an extra E. So my brain, yeah, it's Murphy. So my brain <laughs> does not do the whole words to sound thing well. Amberl. That's what I thought. I thought it was Amberl. And my mom's like, who the fuck is Amberl? And I'm like, you know, the main character in the book. And she goes, you mean Amberly? And I went, oh, yeah, if you add an extra E, that's Amberly. <laughs> Oh, just like my name. How strange. What a strange coincidence. Well, yeah. Except for I had to spell her name wrong because her dad wouldn't let me uh, do it with one E. So. So, yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, probably every teacher would have said Amberl. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he had a, <laughs> at least he didn't let me name Allie what I wanted to name her. So, you know. <laughs> what did you want to name her? Kilachandra Ree. Have you read the Crystal Singer books by Anne McCaffrey? No. 
Oh, no. Chandra. Yeah, that's what I wanted to name her. I was told. Is that two words or one? No. Kilashandra <laughs> is the first oh. name. Re is the middle name. I wanted to name her that badly. But. Then you would have a Ray and a Re. Ray and a Re. <laughs> Kilashandra, that's a pretty badass name. I thought so too. He's like, she what also- are we going to call her? I said, Killy. <laughs> <laughs> Go get him, Killy. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't. He wasn't. Sean. Just call Sean. Yeah. Sean. Uh, the next choice after that was Lakin, and that didn't happen either. That's her middle name. That's her middle name. We but it was going to be a first be name. Extensively discussing your sister's name on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no! Now let's talk about the other one. No, let's not talk about the other one. <laughs> the other one was in the last episode. I was going to say you're going to. You, you guys will know the other one very, very well. I, I claim no responsibility for that one. <laughs> or all responsibility for that one. I don't know. We'll all responsibility. We'll decide at a later date. So now that we have completely fallen off the rails. On- <laughs> yeah. As we usually do at least once. What were we talking about? My inability to say names. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that, I feel like, stem- we- stemmed off of something completely different. The, oh, dro- name of the drug. And then that stemmed off of you simplifying the plot. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, Param is just driving the action, but it's not like you don't, well, no, I guess you do learn quite a bit about it. Well, and it extensively Um, factors into the next duology. Yeah. So it's, it's key. Yeah. I feel like it's mentioned a lot, but it's still a big unknown. In comparing this plot series in compared to the last series that we just went over extensively the raven um, cycle is what you're talking yeah, about because we raven did just cycle. do mexican gothic yeah oh i thought yeah. she was talking about the, the <laughs> no, shadow and bone no. trilogy no no she's talking about raven cycle it, yeah. it's comes across pretty clear to me this author the current author i don't know the author's name lee bardugo has, lee bardugo has a much stronger sense of what they're writing in an overall story. Whereas the other ones seem like they were kind of making it up as they went. Um, and yeah. Yes. In terms of like, yeah, I mean, this is a heist book. Well, and, and in, in terms of comparing secondary series, because the Raven cycle was, I believe her second or third series for uh, Maggie Seafader. Lee Bardugo has an established fantasy universe that she's working within and she clearly has broken down her world and considered it and all of the countries and the elements and how they function with each other and it's very clear when you read this book as she starts to expand out that universe beyond Ravka for us what all of that implies and why it's going to play into a much bigger picture when you look at the trilogy and the two sets of duologies so I do think everything's thought out particularly because I've I've finished Rule of Wolves Sarah hasn't I finished Rule of Wolves and was very excited to come back and reread Six of Crows because a lot of things that I first thought were like I was dismissive of the first time I read Six of Crows majorly comes back in Rule of Wolves. Because like, for example, towards the end, when we learn more about Matthias's mentor, the general um, Brum. Jarl Brum. Jarl Brum. Who knows? He's got a J in there. (laughs) Massive, massively important character in Rule of Wolves. Um, God, <laughs> can't we just let that character go? We don't know. No, all right, can't wait to read more about him. 
Can I mention something yes. that I did like about the book? Yes. <laughs> what did you Flip like, off, Sarah? Sarah. Probably off. one of my favorite things. My favorite things um, are the uh, the black edged pages. I do. nothing to do with the story, but that is a cool aesthetic right there. I do like this one has black edges, and then the other one has red edges. Red, and I I do like how my um, less impactful. I like how my book darts oh, look no. at it. I mean, it's okay. It looks like staples. No. In person, it I doesn't like look it. like staples. It looks like tiny little, like, stars. Particularly because I, I use the mixed yeah. media ones. So some of them are gold, some of them are brass, and some of them are oh, silver. Oh, they all look so. silver from my side. That's oh, yeah. Cool. No, no, they're different ones. But, yeah, I do like how they look in the uh, the black sprayed edges. It is pleasant. Yeah. I would, like, fold fold the old pages over well not like fold them over but just like you know curl them and make like patterns with the white pages and the black edges it was sufficiently distracting when the story was boring um Sarah, yeah, that was a Sarah good choice a good that was a good choice for the publisher it was it smelled I do pretty good too yeah mine smells pretty good mine smells like a almost library bookish yeah, mine was a library book, so I was like, hmm. It had the good library smell. Yeah. The yeah. smell of other people handling the book you're sticking your nose in. It doesn't smell like people. <laughs> mine just smells like book. Huh. <laughs> oh, I do have totally off topic, uh, but not off topic. I have a candle. It is the Darkling. Oh, does it, it smell is- like a human? It smells like sandalwood, amber, and dark musk. And amber is in amber, not amber is in amberly. It does not smell like me. But the really... <laughs> we are really, all grateful. I smell oh. pleasant, thank you very much. <laughs> I work hard to smell pleasant. <laughs> Somewhere out there, someone would like my smell. But to the candle, so it looks all white. Uh, when, uh-huh. I, when I actually burn it, it'll turn black. Like the, the wax will turn black. Oh, neat. Didn't you say yeah. something that showed like a candle mm-hmm. burning like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this Was candle. Was it that candle? It's this candle. <laughs> you should have burnt it huh. since you were going to bring it up so we could actually at least see some of the black. But no, you didn't burn it. No. Why would I do that? I don't want to unleash the darkness yet. Because <laughs> you brought it up. And then you never burn it. Oh, no, I'll burn it. If only for like a nice TikTok aesthetic. But yeah, I just had to share my dark clean candle because, you know, somewhere I have an Inej. I mean, the scent sounds like it's kind of good. Um, it's pleasant. It's strong. (laughs) It's pleasant. (laughs) It smells like a man. Like, not like, like heavily. Like a man wearing cologne. Yes. <laughs> to be clear, I'm that's not what sure. I assumed Kim's... you meant. <laughs> I'm not sure that's where Kim's brain went. I'm but yeah, it, you know, like when a guy walks past you and he's like wearing like a cologne or something like that, and you get kind of like a hint of it. It kind of smells like that. Um, like but... Axe body spray, or no, like... not Axe level. Okay. Like, like like proper high you quality. Remember, I grew up in the. 
eighties, <laughs> men waved cologne. They didn't walk by and you got a slight um, scent of them. It was an overpowering, um, and I can't remember the name of this. What everyone wore. It, oh, trust me, it cannot compare to Axe body spray. Uh, my generation in high school it was axe body spray and that could clear a fucking room it was so gross and so strong and it was intense and cheap everyone wore it and cheap i think that's the big thing is it was cheap do you know there are some people okay i'm gonna say this and people are gonna hear this and they think i'm judging not completely judging. There are people who will go out well, and buy colognes. Well, you could just cut it out. True. Um, but there are people who go out and buy colognes of famous stars so they can spray it on their pillows so that they can smell their fam- their favorite celebrities laying in bed next to them. That's yeah, not. And some people works. do it for anime characters, too. <laughs> I'm not sure how one identifies the smell of an anime character, but people have done it. I don't know that I have that certain level of dedication towards anyone that I would want to my bed to smell like them for the sake of pretending they're there. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, but back on to the book. Oh, I did comment that I love the fact that Nina's whole flirting thing does not work on Kaz. Like, she tries to flirt with him and he just nope <laughs> no interest well, her in that flirting sucks so um maybe she should work on that <laughs> Kaz just doesn't like flirting oh i did like i i did want to comment and mostly this is because i recently read something where this did not work i did like the fact that the point of views in this story at least like shift well from one to the other it's not jarring and it progresses the plot forward we don't ever have to relive the same plot point uh, point of views uh-huh. <laughs> I know which book you're talking about. (laughs) You do. You do. The one I DNF'd. So I did appreciate the fact that at least in this, the plot points, I think, or the points of views played nicely. There was never a moment where I was like, oh, I wish we had gotten this from somebody else's perspective or it doesn't work from this perspective. I thought it always worked from each each perspective (laughs) that each of them were written in. Sarah awing at my stuttering situation no i must avoid saying that word because i'm probably gonna stutter over it too because stutter or perspective oh perspective the latter yeah Yeah. that one and then i loved what is it because i have a note about a description that i like her use of descriptions where was it it was on page 44 i thought her descriptions were kind of basic not bad just well, I liked the love's descriptions like fish belly white. Weird. Was okay. that? I'm not seeing that on page 44. But I, I liked that because I could picture that. It's that like like almost glowing white. Not just white, but like if one were to look up at a fish beneath the sea, it would blend in with the bright sky above. <laughs> kind of white. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I liked she her descriptions were fun at times. I could picture what was being said. And then, oh, I think another example was, I think she called him a black, uh, Kaz, a pale demon with his black gloved hands. I like that description too. I also liked uh, Kaz ripping out the eyeballs. Oh. That was on page 135. I'm trying to remember why I liked it. I can't remember. 
You thought it was horrible. I don't know. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it, it showed that Kaz can actually be pretty brutal. Oh, that was I him being an ass. Oh, no, 158. 158 was the eyeball ripping. 135 was him being an asshole to Inej. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm just not reading my notes very well. <laughs> 158 was him ripping out the dude's eyeball. I liked that. Yeah, because I, th- I thought that was an excellent description, too. And then, yeah, his whole... I don't know. He's such an such an ass to Inej at times. Like, he can't actually express... I mean, like to everyone. Yes, but, like, Inej, he thinks one thing and then decides to be an asshole to her, even though he's thinking how much he adores her, how much he needs her, how important she is. And then she she goes, oh, you need me around. He's like, yeah, I, you know, I need my best spider. He equates her to nothing more than her skills as opposed to actually having an emotional connection to her. So I thought that was quite interesting. And then I'm curious, I don't know if she's confirmed this or not, because I don't, I, I don't know if she's conserved that, can, she's confirmed this. Who is she? The author, Lee Bardugo. Um, but I was curious if Kaz is supposed to be an, a representation of uh, asexuality. Between the having a hard time figuring out how to have a relationship without it being physical and just his inability to have physical contact. Because at one point he, what did he do? 401, just a second. He said something that struck me very much like, I know quite a few asexuals. I've known quite a few asexuals. And this seemed like something very much that they would not like. The gloves. Are they dead now? They are dead to me. Um, no i both past tense have known and do know sub and um so oh okay so he goes the the gloves were his one concession to weakness since the night among the bodies and the swim from the reaper's barge he had not been able to be to bear the feeling of skin against skin it was excruciating to him revolting it was one of the only pieces of his past that he could not forge into something dangerous but the whole the fact that he cannot stand the physical touch just makes me think of how i know a few different asexuals have expressed their displeasure at bodily fluids and how they do not actually wish to be in contact with people. <laughs> not that they don't want romantic relationships, but that they just, they don't like the physicality of relationships at times, particularly under a sexual spectrum of things. Um, so I was kind of curious if Kaz came off that way to you, Sarah, at all? If you had that kind of interpretation or um, not really? I mean, not really. And I'd be kind of annoyed if she did say, oh, yeah, he's supposed to be asexual, because then it's just like, was it a result of his trauma? Basically, it's like, oh, is it just because he had that trauma of being surrounded by bodies? And that's why now he can't stand the touch of people. And now it's changed, you know, it's made yeah, him that way. I can understand that. Would then so I'd be kind of concerned like, about that. They would make it seem like anyone who's asexual just can't just has trauma yeah they're traumatized or they have a problem i wouldn't say that most of the ones i know had trauma they just they find bodily fluids gross (laughs) but it's 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 an ongoing thing as people develop and begin to understand sexuality and the spectrums that everything falls under it used to believe it was used to be believed that if you were gay it was because you were traumatized at some point you know um yeah. And that if you just got together with the right person, it would all be 
fixed. And, and that's just not the way it is. Um, so on the one hand, if that was the case and he had this horrible trauma and that's what caused him to be asexual as an asexual, that would be offensive to me to, to, to denigrate an experience that is actually just, it's just a part of who you are. It's just, yeah. right, you know, um, that would be offensive. Um, however, whereas the- I think you can make it just a, an actual trauma. Yeah. He had to, from what I understand, being a barge with a bunch of dead people, mm-hmm. that would cause a little bit of mental in- issues with touching people. So, well, and you you're know, and you're only your last relative you had to use as a floaty device to escape. As they're bloating, for days. Bloaty device. <laughs> um, yeah, for no, days. Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. It that would cause some psychological trauma. So I, I think However, it's more along the lines of PTSD than it would be along yeah. the lines of leading into asexuality. However, I, I do think it does add another kind of element to Inej and Kaz and that, that whole you have to negotiate how if one of your partners doesn't want that kind of relationship, you do have to learn how to negotiate that kind of situation. And it shows that as teens, they don't have the skill sets yet to, to negotiate it. Because if we look at, at each of these relationships in this, so we have, there haven't officially become a, a couple by this book, but they've expressed interest in each other. You have a, a traditional, more, a more traditional kind of gay relationship with Jasper and Waylon. Um, Wyland where they have interest in each other and it's going to actually be from what i remember it's a pretty healthy relationship there's not too much in it that you go oh this is stupid or not good or doesn't work so they have actually the most traditional healthiest relationship of the bunch you then have nina and mateus who are heteronormative in this uh in the future nina does become bisexual or she is bisexual but we learn that she's bisexual or later on <laughs> um, although <laughs> she magically becomes um, bisexual, although I'd actually argue that she's actually probably pansexual, but that goes into the next duology, and uh, yeah, that, that's really complicated and not a book we're covering. Although it would be fun to discuss that. Um, so we then have that um, that kind of relationship on view. Don't worry, Sarah. I'm not going to make you discuss it. I know what that sound was about. And then you have Inej and Kaz, who are potentially another type of relationship, which is traumas in general, but even possibility just how do you actually develop a healthy conversation with a partner who doesn't want physical romance? Um, And is it fair to demand physical romance from them, which Sarah does not feel it's fair for Inej to demand the physical. And I saw it more as because Kaz couldn't, outline his trauma to and as she needed to step away from that trauma so i actually think that all of these relationships are quite complex and interesting and i'm not sure what the the logic behind them was but i would like to know the logic behind them (laughs) so oh and i had expressed that i I actually like the fact that inej and kaz don't just magically work they don't just magically just decide to make it work that they'll figure it out they just are broken and they're stepping away because they're broken and that I liked Nina for taking the drug for her friends to save them for taking that risk. Um, I like the fact that Nina is brave and takes takes risks that are detrimental to herself because she cares about people. And I think part of that is because she has an ideology of Zoya who 
briefly came up in the show and isn't actually in these books. But a lot of the times it seems like what she is trying to decide what to do is kind of based off what she thinks Soya would do. And again, that comes to play out in the next duology more significantly, but we won't be discussing that. And Sarah hasn't read that yet, so I can't give away spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) So on that note, we'll start to wrap it up here. Sarah, do you have a rating for this book? I think you kind of mentioned it at the beginning, but just to refresh us, what is your rating? Yeah, on Goodreads, I bumped it down to a three from a four. Um, Technically, I would probably give it like a 2.75, but that's close enough to a three. Wow, you really, really did not like this. That's the thing. It's like I didn't. uh, Did I hate it? You didn't want to read it. Mm, I didn't want to read it. Because I'd already read it once. I gave Crooked Kingdom a five star, like, and I can't remember it at all. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to go. If, if it'll still Although, be a five star. I don't know. I'm really not excited about having to reread it, but we'll see. Maybe it's much better. But yeah, I, it was fine. Again, the Nina Matthias stuff didn't do it for me. Inej and Kaz was like, okay, they're interesting enough. Sometimes it was like you know questionable their uh relationship and stuff but realistic given their situations yeah um and the storyline i don't really like heist storylines quite frankly so (laughs) that's something that's kind of working against it for me um but it was it was fine i gave it a four star um it definitely and i remember this thinking this the first time it covered a lot more than i was expecting I honestly got through halfway through this book and thought we were going to end up at the ice court and it was going to cut there. I was surprised we got all the way through the ice court situation. And I have, I vaguely remember Crooked Kingdom, but I also remember the first time reading it that I had no clue where Crooked Kingdom was going to go. I couldn't imagine where, where more of the storyline would go. Um, I do remember it being heartbreaking though at one point. But we will get to that next time. Um, but yeah, I gave it a four oh, I'm star. for that part. <laughs> I know you are. I gave it a four star. I think the only reason why I gave it a, I didn't give it a five star is because so much of this builds to the future duologies and relies a bit heavily on the past trilogy. That is just, it's not quite perfection. There's a lot of buildup and references to things that doesn't make it easy for people to just pick it up. They have to read the trilogy and if they don't ever read the next duology, then a lot of it feels like wasted context. So I, at the moment, cannot think of any books that I would recommend similar to this. Mostly because I forgot to think of that. I'm sure there are. Obviously, the duo- the next duology <laughs> I would recommend reading. <laughs> uh, so uh, King of Scars and Rule of Wolves, I would recommend reading. I'm trying to think if I can think of anything else. I can't think of anything else at the moment. I'll have to see if I can come up with things for next time. Do you have any books that you would recommend, Sarah? Uh, my notes, I just put down anything off the fantasy YA shelf. Okay. <laughs> Should be similar enough. <laughs> but yeah, no, nothing nothing specific where I was like, oh, this reminds me of such and such. Um, just kind of your general magical teenagers doing things sort of storylines. Yeah. Okay. And actually not not so much magic, come to think of it. I was going to say, Nina and, Nina and Jesper. And Jesper. It's just, the yeah, ones? there's just magic in the universe. Yeah. Okay, so next time we will be discussing Crooked Kingdom. 
Our intro and outro music is by Grant Newman and is called The Battle of the Nile from Epidemic Sound. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to Book Pile Banter on whichever platform you listen to your podcast, whether that be Spotify, Amazon Music, Google. I think that's all the platforms that were available currently. We'd love to hear from you on any of our social media platforms, such as Instagram or TikTok. You can find us at book underscore pile underscore banter. Banter.